going through a study of the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy. And so, in a few weeks, we will be concluding that. Uh, I do not yet know where we will go from that point. Uh, Today's sermon may vault us off into unique directions uh, there. We will see where uh, the Lord leads. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 9, just by way of reminder, the Israelites are on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready to go into the promised land. They have wandered, been there largely 40-some years, 40-ish years, while the previous generation died out because of rebellion. And we're going to read about that very thing today. And Moses is reiterating much of what has already been put forth in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers to remind and refresh the people as they go in, to exhort and encourage them. Don't be like your parents were, but go on in faith. And as we've gone through each lesson, hopefully you have seen just a a sweet application, at, at the very least in principles, of how something that happened thousands of years ago can come and touch us and exhort us in our walk with Christ uh, right now. Uh, I've, I've titled this, this lesson a, a proper self-image. <laughs> it's going to get kind of humorous as, as we go into the reading. But how important is self-image in our culture today? Number one. When it's huge, you can just watch commercials. smell better. Um, say what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You deserve it. Yeah, self-image is huge. Um, and, and in what do people find their self-image? Their stuff. Their body. Oh, CrossFit hero. Yeah. Yeah. Accomplishments. Likes. Followers. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. Boom. Social media affirmation. Kevin DeYoung had a funny quote about looking for affirmation on social media. said it was like uh, trying to find a gummy bear in a toilet. You know, it's like, don't, don't bother. Don't waste your time. Yeah. It's like... Don't look for affirmation in your Facebook quotes there. Um, God's, God's really going to smack uh, Israel here with regard to their self-image. And he really gives them a sobering look at their self-image. We're going to start out, we'll read uh, 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 verses uh, 1 through 3. David, would you read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 9, please? Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and whom, of whom you have heard it said, you can stand, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Now therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. 
He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. Okay. So, what we see is that there are giants in the land. And God's not hiding it from them. Not, not hiding it. The, the sons of Anak here, uh, Anakim, uh, when you see, again, I mentioned this earlier, when you see the I am, it's simply just a plural. So the people group, the Anakim, sons of Anak, they're giants, uh, had been seen by the spies. And it brought the spies all a tremble in Numbers chapter 13. Um, Should they fear? They shouldn't. Why not? Because God said not to. Yeah. I mean, uh, you think of uh, rock stars or, or, or government officials. Why can, why can they walk out in public with confidence and not fear? Yeah, you know, it's all those dudes perched on buildings around, you know, with rifles and all the guys with trench coats whose hands are in their pockets. Um, uh, so yeah, they, don't, they don't have to fear because they have an entourage who's there to protect them. You know, the Vinny and the big burly guy walking in and Vinny and Vito on, the other, on either side of... Uh, of this tiny little uh, female diva pop star. No, nobody's going to mess with her. Unless they're foolish. But we have, we have somebody greater. Know therefore today, verse 3, that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Now, in verse 3... God says what he is going to do. Is he going to do it exclusively? Or is there anything that they have to do? There's something we have to do. There is. Occasionally, in, in the battles that you see fought in Kings and Chronicles, sometimes God does it all. They go out and it's like, everybody's dead. Whoa, you know, they, they slayed themselves. Crazy. Or, God, go ahead. Sorry. I think it's interesting. You mentioned Numbers 13. Yes. If you look at that, verse 33, they make an interesting statement. They say, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Now, so not only did this is how they perceived themselves, they were also projecting how they were perceived by folks they were supposed to destroy. And they turns out they got that all wrong. But this is kind of what colored their perspective and why they didn't actually do it. Um, so it's, it's all kind of telling because we learn in other passages that they actually, the inhabitants of the land were very afraid of these people. So they completely got this wrong. But this, is, this was the basis of their kind of fault thinking. Yeah. Well, this is what I think they think. I'm sure. I'm sure they think this. Yeah. No. Just, just do, do. Trust me. Trust me. 
just do what I've asked you to do. Don't try and get inside their heads. I, I am a consuming fire. I will destroy them before you, and you will drive them out. Okay, so God is calling them to act and do in faith. And this is how their faith is exhibited. Are you going to do what I've asked you to do? Are you going to believe me at what I have said? So really the first threat to Israel, and to some extent, is their own imagination. You know, what monsters have they built up? Oh, this is going to be really bad. Well, you haven't even done it yet. We talked about anxiety and fear last week, kind of along the same lines. You know, don't be afraid. So there is a choosing that we do if we elect to abide in fear here, which is a shame. But what we're going to see is perhaps the greater threat to Israel in going in to take the promised land is not the sons of Anak, but the sons of Israel. The greater threat, and we'll see ultimately, if, if you continue reading through Scripture, that that is, in fact, how it bears out. Uh, Kara, let's see, would you read verses 4 through 5? I don't think there's any wacky names in there. Okay, we talked about this two weeks ago, that Israel going in to possess the land is, has a twofold purpose. One is to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that this land was going to be yours. But this land is already somebody else's. How can God justly give this land that is somebody else's to these people? Good. The world, the world is the Lord's and everything in it. So yes, he can give to whom he wants. What did you say, Sam? Uh, maybe the inhabitants of our land are not following. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, we looked into Genesis chapter 15 uh, where Abraham uh, receives his, his covenant promise the second time and, and God tells him that your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years because the wickedness of the Canaanites is not yet complete. So it hasn't finished stewing, you know, it hasn't finished festering. They haven't gotten as bad as they're really going to get. At which point my justice will fall upon them. And that's what God says. He is going to, he is going to use Israel to bring punishment on Canaan. He used Israel as a vehicle to bring punishment upon Egypt. And, and so a lot of times we get very American focused. 
or maybe our church focused, and we forget that God is working, you know, across the alley and up the street and across town, um, in in all of these other places. He's working down in Chile and in China. There, he's doing extraordinary works that we don't know about and we can't see. And so, what, what had God been doing in Canaan? I don't know. I don't know. But we see at least one, and we talked about this before, one comes to repentance through this invasion. Rahab and family are protected by this. So God is, is going in to bring his justice and he warns Israel about what? Where are we? Pride, essentially. Yeah, pride. He's, he's warning them about their pride. What'd you say, Arnold? Not being yeah. Oh yeah, we're you know we're we're the righteous people. We're the, so they're they're unrighteous. They're unrighteous. We must therefore we must therefore be righteous, right? Yeah, no. You know, why did God reveal himself to me? Is it because I grew up in Minnesota? Yeah, no. Definitely not that. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got nothing. You know, I've got nothing in my wallet to go, hey, this is why God picked me. It's, it's, it's grace. It's, it's grace that, that should, should lead me to, oh, you know, wow, to rejoice and, 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 and to exalt. Where's, where's, where's the place for pride? It's not. Because I, I, can, I can look back at my life, and I hope you guys can too, and I hope, I hope you do sometimes, you know, I can't believe that he called me. Because there's really, really, really nothing in my past to merit his favor. Don't let Satan rub your nose in that. Don't let Satan tie an anchor around your feet with your past and throw you into the lake. But let that be a source of rejoicing. For you, um, so it's not because of their righteousness, but the wickedness of the nations. The wickedness of the nations. He reiterates that a number of times in this passage, and that he is confirming his promise with them. So, you know, these these are the kind of the two warnings going into chapter nine, and 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 God calls them to assess, really, to assess their own hearts in the next section here. Um, and and I, I kind of alluded to it already, is looking back on past failure a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. Yes, good. It is. You want to expound? It all depends on your perspective. If you look at the past and maybe see God's mercy, and you, despite your kind of failings, that's good. Mm-hmm. 
just go back and dredge up everything and you know, wallow in despair, that's probably a bad thing. Excellent. You know, the Old Testament, uh, Paul tells the Corinthian church, was written, was given to us as an example. An example. So, lessons learned. You know, gleaning lessons learned. Oops, don't want to do that again. That didn't work so well. So, yeah, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And and Satan really, really, really would love to crush you under the weight of your past. Don't let him. Don't let him. It's taken care of. Cross, taken care of. So, verses uh, 6 and 7. Vinny, would you read uh, 6 and 7, please? Let's see. Sure. Uh, know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember, and do not forget, how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt... Until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So not only not only does he say it's not because of your righteousness. Okay. Okay, let's get a little more specific. You guys are stubborn. Stiff necked. This the same word is is throughout the Old Testament. Translated stiff-necked, harsh, hard, severe, unbearable, obstinate, stubborn. Yeah. That's not how you'd like to hear your spouse describe you uh, to somebody else. Um, but the, the thing that's really, really painful about that is God's judgment is perfect. It is absolutely right. It is crystal clear. No, Israel, you are not a righteous people. You are a stubborn people. You are stiff-necked. You provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. He says, remember and do not forget this. Do not forget this, what you did. What's it mean to provoke something? Okay. Okay. To antagonize, example. Bullying siblings. Okay. Bullying siblings? Siblings. I'm not touching you. How long can I poke you before? (laughs) I'm sure that doesn't happen in the Little Rock family at all. Is provoking always negative, though? Because you can use a synonym and say you're trying to. Stir the fire around, try to get some good. air in there. Like to, to exhort, to, to provoke you. Yeah, you can, you can provoke somebody in that way toward, toward a positive, but that's not. Israel's not provoking God to act on their behalf. No. <laughs> I don't know no. if I've ever heard anyone use the word provoke in a, in a positive term. They would use encourage or something else. Yeah, I can, see, I can see coaches provoke. Yeah, provoke somebody to. I mean, anybody see the movie Miracle? You know, after, Is that the hockey? Yeah, after the game with Sweden, where Herbie Brooks is standing out there, 
Everybody's gone home, and they're doing lines, red line, blue line, red line, blue line, red line, blue line. Again. Again. What's he trying to do? He's trying to provoke them. He's trying to provoke them to a breaking point till they understand what they have done. Okay, that would be a, a positive. But they're not. They're, they're provoking God negatively, provoking him to wrath is, is what they have done. Uh, from the day that you came out to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How was Israel rebellious? How did they exhibit this, this rebel heart? They've had it ever since they were born. Okay, but how did they exhibit it after coming out of Egypt? I mean, they left Egypt, didn't they? Did they? they? I mean, when they ran out of food after a month or so, they started complaining about not having anything to eat instead of just asking God for something. Okay, so they're complaining about water. Grumbling. Water. Yeah. Grumbling. Grumbling. You know, we had we had food back in Egypt. You were in slavery back in Egypt, really? You're looking back at that as, as something good and wonderful? I think one of the biggest rebellions that they did was the golden calf. And God blessed them with all of those riches from the people that were their taskmasters. And they saw all of those miracles, and yet when he wasn't in their face, let me fashion these blessings into a calf that I made so that I can worship it. Yeah. Painful. He goes on in verse 8, even at Horeb, you know, Mount Sinai, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord, and this is Moses narrating to, to them, uh, the covenant that the Lord made with you. I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly. Your people. God had called them to be his people. Now God's going, dude, your people. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they made themselves a metal image, the golden calf here. And so really they provoked God to wrath. Um, I mean, what a, what a tragedy. And God's wrath is absolutely just and right. We see that in, in 13 and 14. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. Okay. They have rejected me. We see that over and over from God's people going now. You know, I, God has done all of this to call a people to himself, a holy people to himself. No. This is why Paul says not all Israel is Israel. Because 
so much of the nation that God has called wants nothing to do with him. They want no part of him. That is why so many today who call themselves Christ followers are not Christ followers. Because they really don't want anything to do with him. Oh, that that not be said of you or me. That God would say, oh, that I might, that I may, let me alone, that I may destroy them. There, God's assessment is correct. And it is right. And he is just. You can see from verse 14 that not even Israel is immune to complete obliteration. God will do it to people who have been wicked for years and years and years, and he'll do it to Israel for 40 or so. But not America. (laughs) Red, white, and blue. God deals with nations. Let's let us even even in the Christian era, God's God will still hold nations and peoples accountable. There. A just wrath, a stubborn people. Um starting in verse 15, we see really something extraordinary, and it is it is this is this is the kind of thing in a movie that just chokes me up. This is the man who goes running into the fire to, to, to rescue, to the rescue. Um, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but here we go. I'm, I'm going to stand up. And Moses, Moses intercedes in, in a way that is, that is truly uh, remarkable and breathtaking. Uh, Bonnie, do you have your Bible open? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Caleb, would you read uh, uh, 15 and 16, please? So I turned and came down from the mountain. The mountain was burning with fire. The two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. Okay. Clear, a clear assessment on Moses' part. You had sinned. Okay? Do you, have, do you have a brother or a sister in your life who will look you in the eye and say, you are in sin? Somebody who loves you so much that they're not just going to say, oh, your hair looks great today. I love love your nail polish. Um, but I said, man, what you said was was rude. That was rude. Um, you have been thoughtless to your wife. Um, you have not exhorted your children, but have been harsh with them. I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. Made yourself a golden calf. Verse 17. So I took took hold of the two tablets and threw them down 
out of my hand and broke them before your eyes. Okay? He identifies a problem. He declares the truth. Boom. You're in sin. Here's God's covenant. This is what you did with it. Boom. Shatters it. Confronts them with their sin. And from that point on, he now leaves them to intercede for them. Verse 18, I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, that calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that ran down from the mountain. Keith, doesn't it say in another place that he ground it up and put it in the water and made them mm-hmm. drink it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my question here is... Um, comes down and he throws the tablets down and destroys them. The Israelite people hadn't seen the tablets. They didn't know what was on the tablets, correct? So what do you think the reason was for him destroying those tablets? Frustration, right? Was that something God told him to do or was that just his anger? Does it say? It would be speculation. They hadn't seen the tablets, but they heard the commands. Mm-hmm. That's chapter 33 and yeah. the commandments are in 20. So they knew you shouldn't make false images. Yeah. How serious did Moses see this sin? For them. He was he was afraid for them. So serious was this that he Yes. Have you ever been in agony for any sin like that? Why do we not do this? I'm not exhorting you to go fast for 40 days and 40 nights over the sin of a child necessarily. Or the, or the sin of a co-worker. But, but does, it, does it grieve you to sh- will you shed a tear? If it, if it doesn't impact you directly, maybe for another, just for, for a friend, grieve over his sin, to intercede for him, to understand, and, and this, this, this section, we, we can go, oh man, you know, God's really mad. God's really mad. 
But let, let's kind of comprehend that God's really holy. That God's really holy. And we're really rebellious. We are really, really rebellious. God's willing to waylay the whole nation. God's willing to sacrifice his son. God the son is willing to be bound in human flesh and to be scoffed by his creatures to be whipped by those he created to be crucified by them and then to suffer the wrath of his father for their sin magnitude and we poo poo it it's it's not a sin oh it's not a sin oh if you feel it then it's good it's good follow your heart follow your feelings Face down, fasting, feared for them and fought for Aaron. Fought for his brother. Fought for him. I prayed for Aaron also at that time. Oh God. The intercession goes on in, in verse 25, but he has he takes a break here just to kind of reemphasize their further rebellion in 22, uh, 22 to 29 here. Uh, 22 at Taberah, also at Massah, and at Kibroth Hatavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. You can go back and, and look these up. Uh, Taberah in uh, Numbers 11, 1 to 13 Masa was the water. You know, that was back in Exodus 17, 1 through 6. We looked at that. And, well, let's turn actually to Numbers chapter 11 because two of them are in that section. Numbers, Numbers is about as fun a book to read through as Judges is. Really, if you want to be provoked by the Sin of Humanity, these are two great books to go through if you're feeling very proud in your righteousness. Uh, 11, 1 to 3, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Ah! And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed uh, some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. What provoked this? Uh, oh. They complained about their misfortunes. Do we have misfortunes? Yes, of course we do. Of course we do. Back issues. You know, neck issues. Eh. 
Are we going to complain about them? Or are we going to trust God's good hand? Does he understand? Can we, can, it hurts. It hurts. Can we cry? Can we weep? Because it hurts? Yes, absolutely. Can we cling to God go, I don't understand. Please take this away. Yes, absolutely. That's different than, oh, you wouldn't believe the, the pain I'm suffering in my neck from the car accident I was in. You know, and you just drive it fast, 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 fast. You don't even want to be around this person because they're just constantly, wah, everything. Oh, the sky has fallen. Don't you know? It's the end of the chapter. They complain about the food. God brings them quail. Verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed. 33.11, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. The Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, means graves of craving. Oh, man. Yeah, go by that place. What's that place? Graves of craving. What's the story there? Yeah. Because they buried the people who had the craving from Kibroth Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. So Moses goes, oh yeah, and then there's this, and there's this, oh yeah, and then there's this too. And, oh by the way, even so, even after the golden calf, even after all of these events, when the Lord sent you back in Deuteronomy 9, 23, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go and take possession of the land I have given you, you rebelled again against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And that's Moses. Moses now saying this. I mean, it's, this, this is all you've done. All you have done. So he goes back to his prayer in verse 25. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed, I interceded to the Lord. Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Are those true? Yeah, did God do those things? Absolutely. Is Moses... Praising God for what he has done? Yes, absolutely. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, I call you, I call upon you to remember your promises. Remember your promises. I'm clinging to them right now. I'm holding fast to them. You've made these promises. You've made these covenants. Remember them. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their, their wickedness or their sin lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. God, the other people, man, they're going to they're go, what, what was the whole point? What was the whole point if you, don't, if you don't finish, if you don't consummate this thing that you have started? Would the nations around still see God's glory in the condemnation of Israel? 
sinfulness with the Israelites and God's justice. Because didn't Moses say, or Moses or somebody said, if you destroy these people, what will the nations around them think about it? That's what Moses said that actually at the time. So he's recounting that time. Okay. Can, can God show his glory in condemnation and destruction? But that's all the time. Yeah, but you ask whether the nations would understand what God was doing, and they may not because they don't, their eyes are not open to truth. So okay. They just see, look, their God destroyed them. How silly is that? So does it really matter if they see it or not? Are they, are they going to see... Yeah. So I, I, I kind of giggle when I see I see Moses kind of arguing with God. It's cute, you know. Um, but but what what because God can show His glory whichever way He sh- He chooses, and He will. Will people understand it? Will they understand Israel scraping the Canaanites off the land? Do they today? No, they don't. They're going, what? You know. So they, they don't understand that. People are, people are fickle because of their own hearts. Sarah said it well. If God gives them eyes to see, then they will either way. But, but, I love Moses' intercession. He intercedes for his brothers. He intercedes for them. He calls God to remember what God has promised. Oh, you know, oh, what you have done. Oh, finish your work. Please don't destroy this one. Philippians 1 6. You know, he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, continue their life. Continue to work in their life that they might run the race well and bring glory to your name. Is that a good prayer? Hope so. Oh, God, smite this one that your glory might be seen. Oh, man. Yeah. Don't hope it doesn't ricochet. Keith, real quick. Some will argue that Moses, that intercession, he, that he changed God's mind. What would you retort to that? Assumption. Well, because it says right here. When the Lord said he would destroy you. When does God know what Moses was going to do? From the beginning, yeah, yeah. So, how could he change from knowing that? Did God go back on his word then? Because he said he would destroy <clears throat> What's that? I'm not picking a fight, I'm just saying, pray. An unbeliever, mm-hmm. God said he would destroy them. He, yeah. also, he also said he would destroy Nineveh. And this is, this is where you see the mercy of God mm-hmm. as well. You know, it is, it is God's prerogative. He did not lie. He would, had they not repented. Had there not, had there not been an intercessor. What would have happened to all humanity had God the Son not said, I will take on humanity. I will go to the cross. I will bear their iniquity. 
There is no other God to sign. <laughs> so, you know, God, man's condemnation was sure, certain. God's plan from eternity past was just as sure. And what a blessing. What a blessing and what a great grace that is. Uh, it is it is through the intercession of saints that God executes his sovereign plan and in and in the we we see this you know does does it grieve God's heart it does did God truly repent and I don't mean repent as in sin but grieve Oh, was he sorrowful that he made man in Genesis chapter 6? When he looks at the entire earth and nothing, Moses, my one little beacon of light. Huh? Moses, Noah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Noah. Thank you. Oh, another old guy. Yeah. You know, what, was God truly grieved? Absolutely. Let us not think that our God is... is is like a brick wall. He's cold and unfeeling. He is absolutely feeling. He has emotions far more acute than we do. That we are emotional beings simply highlights the glorious God that we serve, who is provoked to wrath, who does take delight in his children who follow after him as well. Some quick takeaways here. Um, we will always face giants. We will always face giants. Are we going to balk? When the world says, you can't, you can't do X, Y, or Z because you are a Christian. Are you still going to do X, Y, or Z? Or are you going to risk Prosecution? Are you going to risk arrest? Are you going to risk losing your job? Will we stride with confidence? The confidence of being held by an omnipotent God. I mean, we've got a bodyguard like no other. Um, one of the giants that we will face, though, is our own success. So the second thing is don't let our success go to our head. You know, let us, let us not. I, yeah. Let us, grace alone. Our hearts are stubborn. Um, let your failures Let your failures do their good work in your life. Don't suppress them. Don't ignore them. Neither beat yourself about the head and shoulders with them. But remember them. And learn from them. And praise God that he brought you through them. That he didn't just wipe you out after that. But he showed you grace.
Last, um, let us be willing to intercede for our brothers. Let us be an interceding people, a praying people. Do I care about my brothers and sisters? Have I heard of somebody who is caught in sin? Entangled, tripped up, face plants because of sin. Oh, that I would pray for them. Do I pray for those who are grieving, who are aching, who are in pain and agony? To call upon God's grace, not in our own might, not in our own righteousness, to to call on his promises and to call on God's great glory.